You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated and good morning to to 10 o'clock. If the guys on the front row in suits are secret service, I feel very safe. If you're pledging, it's a short sermon today. We're wrapping up a series that seems to have resonated with the heart of this church these last several weeks. If emails and attendance and filled altars and spiritual awareness are any indicators of a church that is growing spiritually, I think we've seen it these past few weeks as we've been in Ephesians chapter 6 together and have talked about this this thought of, of the war of prayer. It's really a reminder to all of us here today who are in Christ, all believers who are here today, of all the unseen that is around us. If you're not a Christian, you're not a believer in Christ, you're not in Christ, I I hope that it's a reminder to you that there is an unseen realm all around us. I've, I've said this the last several weeks, let me say it again. If what you see in your mind is all that there is, If you think that all you can see with your physical eyes is all that there is, then you are probably in the middle of a lot of spiritual confusion. But if you think there's more than what you can see with your physical eye, I would say that you're probably growing in spiritual wisdom. If you think all there is is all that you can see, then I would imagine you are losing a lot of battles. But if you believe that there's more than what your physical eye can see, can take in, can see. If you believe there's more than what our, our eyes are able to see in this physical world, then you're probably equipped and set up for a lot of spiritual victories. There are battles going on in this room right now. And there are battles going on in our city right now that are invisible, that are unseen. There's a battle being waged over your heart and your mind at this very moment, an invisible battle over your mind, over your heart right now. Paul says this, Jesus says this. In fact, a lot of of Jesus' ministry, a large, large portion of his ministry is in direct conflict with an unseen enemy who is also our enemy. Jesus summarized his ministry in this way. I have come here to proclaim liberty to those who are held captive. And then his beloved disciple John tells us later on in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, that the Son of Man has appeared to destroy the works of the devil. June 6, 1944, 6.30 a.m. 5,000 ships that carried 160,000 members of Allied forces, Americans, Canadians, Brits, They went to Normandy and landed on some beaches. You probably know some of the names of these beaches. Utah, Juneau, Omaha, Gold, Sword, in an operation called D-Day. And in the first hour of that landing on Normandy, 4,414 Allied forces were killed within the first 60 minutes. Images like like this, it it makes us grateful for men and women who have gone to war to fight for freedom, to fight for peace. 
But I share this picture with you to, to emphasize that these men had no delusions at all what they were walking into. None of these men thought it was going to be easy. None of these men thought that they were going on vacation. They knew that they were walking head on into the barrage of an enemy who wanted nothing more than to destroy them. At the end of Ephesians, Paul pulls back the curtain on the Christian life and allows us to see some things. Allows us to see that we're in the middle of a battle that's no less stringent with an enemy who is no less fierce. Let me call a quick timeout. I am certain there are some here today that do not believe at all in a personal enemy of Jesus, a personal enemy of God, or a personal enemy of, of Christians. Probably some here today who doubt the existence of what the Bible would call Satan or, or the devil. And for what it's worth, he's not after your recognition. He's after your destruction. And to disbelieve in, in an enemy also means that you disbelieve in God. You disbelieve in the teachings of Jesus himself. And it means really that the enemy has you right where he wants you to be. If you do not believe you have an enemy, he has you in the right spot. All right, time back in. Let's get to the passage again. Ephesians chapter six with your copy of God's word. Let's go to the book of Ephesians together. I hope you have a copy of God's word with you today. You can go to your device or share God's word with someone who is seated next to you. Let's go to Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians is the 10th book in the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter six will get you there. We've been in this passage for about four weeks now. Today we're making it five. Let's get that passage, Ephesians chapter six. Let's read through it again. And once we read through this passage again, let's keep our Bibles open and see what God would say to us today about the battle that we're in, a battle that most of us in this room fully feel all the time. What is that battle that you're constantly sensing in your life? Ephesians chapter six, beginning in verse 10, Paul says, finally, what he means by that is ultimately, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Because that is true, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand Therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, don't close your Bibles. Let's grab four keys from this passage today for victory this week. Four things I want you to see. If you desire to live in spiritual victory this week, four things we can capture from this passage. First of all, verse 10. Let's go back to that again. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. There, there's one operative word that's used there, and it's used at two different times, and it's just a little preposition, in. We stand strong in the Lord. We're strong in the Lord, and we're strong in the strength of his might. 
It's not about our strength. And that's a humbling thing for Americans to hear. For us Texans, even more so. It's not about our strength. It's not about our power. It's not about what we can do. In fact, here's note number one. In a spiritual battle, your strengths can be liabilities because you forget to lean into God's might. Christian, you are in a spiritual battle. And often we see the strengths that we have as, as, as strengths in the battle. But in actuality, often our strengths can become a liability because sometimes when we realize we have a strength, we stand in that strength instead of in the strength of the Lord. Some in the room today, you're, you're, you're highly, highly self-disciplined. You've got great self-control. You can go to a buffet and just take one pass at the buffet. That's how self-controlled you are. And for you self-controlled, self-disciplined people here, here today that you have a regimen and you, you get up at certain times and you work out and you take care of yourself, sometimes we might say in a natural sense, that's a great strength. But in a spiritual sense, it could become a great liability because you're depending upon your self-discipline or your self-control instead of standing in the strength of the Lord. Some of y'all who are very organized, some of y'all have great administrative skills. Those are great things in the workplace, great things in the classroom. But sometimes those strengths can become liabilities because you depend upon your own organizational skills. You begin to, to depend upon your own um, administrative skills. You can administrate your own life. And while that's a great strength, it can often become a liability when it comes to battling with one who is out to destroy you because you're no longer leaning on the strengths of, of, of the strength of God, of the strength that he has given you in, in Christ Jesus. Let me go one step further, and this may offend some of you, but you can just email me this week and let me know I offended you. Some of y'all have been, have been walking with the Lord a long time. Some of you have been Christians for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Some of you are very spiritually mature. Many of you are very spiritually mature in this room. A lot of you in this room, you're leaders. You're teaching God's word. You're discipling other people in Christ. Let me just lovingly say this to you. Watch out. This church sees that as a strength. But if you begin to stand in the strength of your own maturity, the strength of your tenure in Christ, of your ability to teach God's word and to disciple other people in Christ, and you don't think you need the strength of Jesus or you don't need the strength of his might, you see that strong leadership skill that you might have or that maturity that you might have in Christ actually could become a liability because let's just call it what it is. Let's just say what it is. It's pride. It's pride to say, well, I've walked with Jesus a long time. I'm discipling others. I'm teaching God's word. I'm on staff here at Highland. I'm the lead pastor here at Highland. It's amazing how those strengths can quickly become liabilities if we think that somehow we can stand in our own strength in this battle. You will not win battles in your own strength, your own creativity, or your own power. In fact, if you think you can win those battles, you've already lost. If you think you can do it in your own strength. So verse 10 reminds us right here of our position in Christ. There's an invitation to be strong in the Lord, an invitation to be strong in the strength of his might. It reminds us of our position in him, the necessity of abiding in Christ and trusting in the strength for what he did for us on the cross. Secondly, verse 12. For we, Christians, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we are wrestling against rulers and authorities. We're wrestling against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. We are wrestling against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
Note takers, here's number two. You are wrestling at the point of being tempted to live outside of the gifts that you have in Christ Jesus. You're wrestling. This is what Paul, he uses this word right here. What's interesting about this word is the only time it's used in all the New Testament. The word wrestle here is the Greek word pale. Paul does not say here we battle or, or, or we fight or, or we push back or we're at war, or we're engaged. He does not use any of those words at all. He uses the word wrestle right here, palais. And when you wrestle someone, you know this, when you wrestle someone, you're in close proximity with them. And those of y'all who have wrestled before in high school, or as I said a few weeks ago, if you have a brother, you have wrestled before, I'm certain. Wrestling is exhausting. I would say one of the most exhausting, if not the most exhausting of all sports. Because constantly, every muscle in your body is being engaged as you're wrestling somebody. Isn't it interesting? That's the term that Paul used. Maybe a term of exhaustion, a term of all of us being in all the battle, the close proximity of of the evil one. So we're wrestling at the point of being tempted. Listen to this, church. We're being tempted to live outside of the gifts that you do have, Christian, you do have in Christ Jesus. And let me just tell you that as I've been preparing this message or these messages for the past couple of weeks, what I love about preaching is I get to learn all week long. And there's some fresh things that the Spirit of the Lord teaches me all week long. I get convicted all week long. In fact, I told a group of young pastors a few months ago, that's all that preaching really is. I'm just passing the conviction along. Like I'm convicted all week long, so I just want you to be, if I'm convicted, you need to be convicted as well. So I'm just passing that conviction along. And I was so convicted by this thought that I'm always wrestling the enemy at the point of the gifts or to disbelieve the gift that I have in Christ Jesus, to be tempted to live outside of the gifts that we have in Christ. In other words, the enemy's assaults are not unpredictable. That's, that's why we don't need to be afraid. It's just why we need to be alert. I mean, the, the enemy is so predictable in everything he does. We need to be on, car, on guard. We need to, to stand, as Paul tells us four times right here in this passage. Let me give you some examples about this. The thought of you're wrestling at the point of being tempted to live outside of the gifts you have in Christ. You see, in Christ, there is no fear. So the enemy wants us to live in fear constantly. In Christ, we've been made holy. So the enemy tempts us all the time to, to live in impurity, to live in sexual sin, to live in sexual addictions. In Christ, we have peace. And so Satan always is gonna push us toward a life of anxiousness, in Christ, we have rest. So the enemy wants us to be restless, wants us to be spiritually drained, emotionally tired all the time. In Christ, we've been given the, the gift of victory. So the enemy wants us to always live in constant defeat. In Christ, we have this full joy. So the enemy wants us to be downcast all day long. In Christ, we have been forgiven. So the enemy wants us to believe that we have not been fully forgiven from all the things in our past. In Christ, we have maximum hope. So the enemy wants us to live in hopelessness. In Christ, we have assurance of salvation. This is why the enemy wants you to believe that you are not saved, to doubt your salvation. In Christ, we've been adopted, so Satan will come to us and say, you're not worthy of being adopted by God. And the list goes on. See, in doing this, the enemy not only attacks us, but he also attacks the gift giver himself, Jesus. The bulk of this passage, you probably have noticed, is about the armor 
of God. Let's pick it up here in verse 11. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. This is where we first hear it mentioned. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes or, or, or the, 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 the thoughts or the, um, the methods of the devil. Jump down to verse 13. We see the same thing. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. All right, number three. The armor of God is not a costume. It's a verbal rehearsal of what is true about your salvation. I was so confused as a kid about what the armor of God meant. I'll tell you what confused me. Were some uh, really, really, really conservative families here in Waco that dressed up their kids for Halloween with the armor of God. Right? Like, so kids could come to our house and they had a breastplate of righteousness on them and a shield of faith and a wobbly looking helmet of salvation and scary enough, a sword, you know? And so as a kid, I was like, man, I need to get me a costume. Like, that's what I need to, to win more battles. Even like into middle school and even early into high school, I was like, what is it that I need to be putting on? Like, if I forget my shield, do I have to go back to the house and find it somewhere, kind of conjure it up? Like, what, what are these pieces of the armor? So I have some good news, maybe for other people here today that are wondering, what does it mean to like put on the armor of God? Here it is. It's a verbal rehearsal of what is true about your salvation. When I say verbal rehearsal, I mean you're saying this perhaps aloud, but definitely to your heart. Let me give you some examples here. What does it mean to verbally rehearse the belt of truth? It means that you could say, I trust in the truth of God's word. I trust in the truth of God's character. This is what it means to verbally rehearse the benefits of your salvation. How about the breastplate of righteousness? When you're feeling attacked, when you're in that battle, when you're wrestling yourself against the one who desires to destroy you, here's what it means to have a breastplate of righteousness. Jesus, I gave you my sin and you gave me your righteousness. I live the traded life. Shoes of gospel peace, what does that look like to have on shoes of gospel peace? It means, first of all, Christian, you can remember again that you have peace with God because of the gospel. And we're to take that peace-giving gospel into the enemy's territory. The shield of faith, God, I have faith in you. God, I know, I know that you're with me. I know that you're for me. I know that you'll give me the grace to stand in the days of, of attack, stand in the days of the enemy's schemes, the helmet of salvation. What does that mean? Jesus, I belong to you and you're not gonna let me go. You won't lose me and you'll never let me go. This is what it means to wear that helmet of salvation. The sword of the spirit, I, I, I'm in the scriptures. I'm studying the scriptures. I'm applying the scriptures. I'm praying the scriptures. I'm saying the scriptures. I'm obeying the scriptures. I know I told you I had four points, but I actually have a sub point here. So point number three, here's the sub point. Where your salvation has fortified you, Satan cannot injure you. The full armor of God is a verbal rehearsal of what is already true about your salvation in Christ Jesus. I know it's true. I know I gave my sin to Jesus. He gave me his righteousness. I know I belong to him. He's not gonna lose me. He's not gonna leave me. He's not gonna let me go. 
I'm in scriptures, I'm studying scripture, I'm applying scripture, I'm memorizing scripture. Lastly, verse 18, Paul kind of wraps it up right here, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And to that end, to that end of praying, keep alert then with, with all perseverance, for all endurance, making supplication for all the Christians, for all of the saints. This is the alls of prayer. We saw this just last week. You have the when of prayer, all times, the what of prayer, all prayers, the how of prayer, all perseverance, or all endurance, for whom we pray for all the saints. The most basic definition I can give you about prayer is simply this, talking to God. And there is nothing wrong biblically with that simple definition, talking to God. So that means that the prayer is not meditation. Prayer is not some passive reflection on the attributes of God, although we can do that, but that's not prayer. Prayer is directly addressing God. And for every Christian here today, it's amazing not only that we can do that, but that God himself has invited us to do that. Step into my presence, tap into my power. Ask me, knock at the door, seek me. I will answer, I will come, I will open. It is the communication of our soul to the one who actually created our soul. So prayer is the primary way for Christians to communicate our emotions, our desires, it's our way to, to speak to the Father and thus fellowship with him. Here's the fourth thing. How is prayer then described in the Bible, here it is. Prayer is described as seeking God's favor, as pouring out our soul to God. Prayer is described in the Bible of, of crying out to him, of drawing near to him, drawing near to God. This is where the fellowship, the relationship aspect is built up as we draw near to God in prayer. And then Paul himself says this in Ephesians chapter three, is kneeling before the Father. Paul does this just three chapters earlier. He kneels before the Father and he prays. Now that definition you see on the screen, prayer is much more than that, but prayer is no less than that. Prayer is coming before God and asking his blessings, asking his grace, asking his favor. It's coming before God and just pouring out everything in your soul. What your roommate can't handle, God can't handle. What your spouse can't handle you saying, God can handle you saying that. What your parents may not be able to handle you saying, God can handle you saying this. Is pouring out your soul to God, is crying out to him. It is drawing near to him. It is kneeling before the Father. We built altars here at the front about nine years ago. We cushioned them. We put some fabric on the outside. Highland, you have worn them out so many times. We've already had to replace them again recently. Rewrap them. There is something about the posture, as Paul says here, of kneeling before the Father. The scripture gives us a lot of ways we can pray, a lot of physical postures in which we can pray. We can look up to heaven, Psalm 121. Um, we can lift up our hands. In fact, brothers in the room, specifically, Paul says, I want holy men everywhere to lift up hands in prayer. You may look around the room sometime here at Highland and 
see people with their hands raised while worshiping. They don't have a question. They're just, they're just lifting their hands in adoration. And really, what is worship music but, but prayer set to a melody? We can lift our hands. Places in scripture, in fact, John does this in Revelation. He just falls down like a dead man in front of God. He just face in the ground, face plants. But I think the number one physical posture of those who enter into the presence of God in prayer or in worship is kneeling or bowing. And coming before him, as the psalmist said, come, let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our maker, for we are the people of his hand. We are the sheep of his pasture. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to close today as we have closed these last couple of weeks. And it's to give you an opportunity to pray, to, to battle, to go to war. To give you an opportunity, if you want to come and just kneel. I know some of you are caught right in the middle of your row. I mean, you're welcome just to kneel right where you are to kneel there below your seat. What, what would we possibly kneel and pray for today? Parents, maybe you want to bring your, your kids if they're with you right now. Just bring them here to the front of the altar and pray over your kids. Or how about this? Kids, what if you turn to your mom and dad and say, can I pray over you? And you lead mom and or dad down here to the altar and just pray over them. What would you kneel and pray for today? Maybe Asbury College, where some revival flames are beginning to burn. Maybe you can kneel before the Father and ask that that same thing would happen at Baylor, at MCC, at TSTC. I mean, there, there's a potential right now, I'd say more of a potential right now than since 1970s for a fourth awakening in our nation. What if you came and prayed for that on your knees? What if you came and prayed for your freedom, prayed for your, for your purity, and battled for that in prayer? We have some leaders of our church who will be standing right here at the front. If you want to come and pray with us, we'd love to, to go, go to war in prayer with you, to pray for your marriage, to pray for your prodigal son, prodigal daughter, to pray for your health, to pray for your spiritual maturing. Or if you want to, we have some elders my far left, my far right. If you're here today and you're sick, you're, you're ill, you have a surgery upcoming, the elders would love to pray over you, would love to anoint you with oil. Pray for God to raise you up. If you don't know what to pray for, then there's gonna be some lower thirds on the next song of, of, of requests that were sent in last Sunday from people saying, would you pray for me in this way? Would you celebrate with me in this way? So at some point, you can just stop singing and start praying for all the saints who have turned in these requests, asking for the church to pray for them. But I would ask this, let the option not be for you just to stand still and watch. Let's don't be a stoic, dry church. Let's move and let's worship and let's kneel and let's lift hands. Let's pray for one another. Let's come before the Father. The invitation is for you to come and kneel before Him. Come and pray. Let's go to war together. God is with us at this time.